Purple Elephant shower thought of the day. Asking someone, where are you, is kind of a recent thing. Before we had mobile phones, the only way you could talk to people is if you knew exactly where they were. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. This summer, I've been working on a big project, a book, a book for creatives, for artists, for content creators. This book is called Purple Elephant Artist, art and essays for creatives. With the help of some wonderful people, Sveta Wannenberg, Jada Bennett, and Olivia Childs, we have made something awesome. You know, I think there are an abundance of online courses and books that revolve around teaching specific skills whether it's marketing tactics or actual techniques when it comes to creative mediums. But what I think is underrated is the mindset behind creativity, the psychology, the philosophy, the why of why we create. So really what this whole book is revolving around is what are the mindset shifts you need to make? What are the questions you need to ask yourself? The questions only you can answer. Your original work without feeling like you have to mimic someone. My whole intention for this thing is to prove to you that you are capable of creating, of being creative. And I hope that it will inspire you to create your own brand, your own art, your own stories. So please check the link in the description, go on Amazon, either pre-order or order that book, depending on when you're hearing this. And I promise you it will be worth your while. Today's podcast has a repeat guest and because it is I guess my first real repeat guest I had Sveta on for a a bonus episode but this being the first repeat guest I'm going to avoid kind of the the small talk the origin story so if you're really curious about this um, I will link the exact podcast number that this person was on previously Um, so that just means there's going to be more good stuff we're going to be talking about the present moment the future what's going on in the world, what's going on with each of our lives. And I think it'll be interesting because I want to say the last time he did this was probably eight or nine months ago. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll correct me. But today's guest is Zach Green, my oldest cousin and just all around great guy. So Zach, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Um, Kind words, I appreciate it always. Um, but yeah, man, I'm excited to be back. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of following everything you're putting out there. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be nice to just kind of dive into the present moment. Like you said, there's a lot happening in this crazy world right now. And I think uh, we all need more positivity. And hopefully we can talk about things that can uh, help you know lift people up and think about a broader future. Yeah, I think the two main themes are going to kind of overtake this episode are going to be, you know, cause I know we both have the same mindset or at least are curious about a lot of similar things. And I think this podcast is going to be broken into broken down into kind of entrepreneurship and, you know, new exponential technologies, as well as kind of the spiritual be here now, uh, the power of now, like not necessarily, 
I don't know if spiritual is the right word, but just kind of being present um, and having that sense of awareness. So, but the way I would kind of want to start this off is, I mean, we're talking in the morning. What's a, a morning routine look like for you just in these recently? That's a good question. Um, so recently I have finally had my summer schedule die down a little bit, which has been nice. Um, so I'm kind of getting back into routine and I'm trying to hit the gyms in the morning, the gym in the morning, um, just to get some energy going. Um, some mornings are, you know, I don't feel like actually driving to the gym. So for example, this morning, uh, went on a nice little 45 minute stroll around the neighborhood, um, in your, uh, where you grew up in Kirkwood, where I'm living now. Um, and, uh, and listened to a Alan Watts podcast and, um, came back and, uh, had my bulletproof with my uh, moon juice brain dust and smart mushrooms and just being a weird human, man. So just, uh, I'm feeling good. Haven't had any food since steak last night. And, um, yeah, I'm just, the brain's, uh, ready to, ready to, ready to flow with you. Yeah. I think that's so funny because I can very much so relate to your story. I had the bulletproof coffee, took an elf theanine, uh, pill before this, but at the same time, I'm also doing a little bit of mindful meditation or gratitude, um, a little bit of like a breath work thing, and then a little bit of visualization, goal visualization. That's something new that I've been doing recently. And maybe we could, maybe that could be a transition point to talking about goals. So I know that obviously we're kind of slowly, very slowly getting out of pandemic mode. And I'm wondering, have you given a like second look at your goals, either long-term long -term or short-term don't know why I can't say term. Um, have you been thinking about your goals since the kind of gradual decline of the pandemic? Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that. And also, you know, I to kind of chime into what you're saying about, you know, meditation and and um breath work. I also am incorporating that in the mornings, even like chanting and things like that. Again, kind of being that the uh, far out crazy, uh crazy stuff that a lot of people probably don't even think about, but it is, it's nice to kind of prime yourself in a way. Um, but yeah, as, as it relates to goals, it's so interesting. Um, you bring that up because recently, even in the last week or two, and I guess it coincides with my travel kind of slowing down, but I've really started to tap into my goals again and, um, and, you know, both short term with, with work, but also future goals. Um, you know, I actually, have a, um, a growing list of my future home, you know, um, even though I'm 33 and don't own a home yet, I have a list of all these things that I want in my future home with whether it's, you know, land and having a, you know, regenerative garden and, you know, water filtration system, solar panels, you know, all these different, you know, concepts. So that's one thing I've been working on, but yeah, also just some kind of your, um, uh, your shoot for the stars goals. I I've, I've really started to kind of go into those a little bit more in depth. Um, and then would, the same. is that kind of house design, would that be in the category of kind of shoot for the stars goals or is that a more realistic? I mean, endeavor? to me, to me, there's, you know, kind of like your vision board, like you say, I don't really see another way. I mean, again, you know, we all have things happen in life and, you know, I, I, I can't predict the future. I mean, I, this is all, hopefully if I can, you know, I'm able to be successful and I'm able to afford it and all of that and keep working hard to get there. But that to me is, you know, that's what I want and I will work to get that, uh, you know, I'll do what I can, but, you know, on top of that, that's very personalized. I think there's also goals that I've put onto my list more recently. Um, even in just listening to some different podcasts and just, you know, reading some stuff about just giving back more, um, and, and creating more impact. I, I just, you know, the, the world at large is, is such a crazy place right now. And there's so many things we won't, you know, go into that. I know that's not the point of this podcast, but, 
just being able to, you know, help others that, that didn't come from the, you know, the, um, fortune that, you know, both you and I have been, you know, luckily, lucky enough to come from and make sure that that's a part of my long-term, um, ethos is, you know, being a, you know, giving back and whether that's through, you know, impact investing or volunteering time, things like that. That's something that I think has become more and more, um, a focus of mine. And I think that I can, I can operate from a better spot mentally when I'm coming from a place of empathy uh, day in and day out. So yeah. that's something I've been really focusing on. And I think this is a, we don't have to get into the kind of the world at large, but I, I do want to kind of go a little bit more in depth on that point. Cause I think for myself and maybe we can have a little back and forth on this, but I think one of my realizations, and maybe this was in high school, I kind of had this impression, and this is based on kind of the the hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, thinking that, yes, there are a lot of problems in the world, and I am, you know, way above kind of the line of any, you know, major problems, and I'm, you know, I'm very grateful for that, but I also think there are some things that we almost have to figure out for ourselves first before we can start going out in the world and saying, you know, I'll donate all this money. I'll donate all this time. And I almost, I've been thinking about it like it's kind of a paradox where, you know, it is proven that you're going to feel better if you're volunteering your time or volunteering or giving away money to help someone in need. But at the same time, that that first act before you've done it, there's this like holding on, clinging to what you have um, because you're kind of afraid to to lose it for yourself. You're thinking, I'm not as successful. And I think a a, a turning point for myself was just the thought, I don't know where I read this, but 10% goes to charity of everything that I earn. And doing that when I'm not making a lot of money, um, doing it when it's uh, a dime on the dollar rather than $1,000 made from $10,000. So starting small, realizing that I don't have to donate the amount that you know someone super wealthy donates, but I can donate my percentage. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that. No, I love that. I love that mindset. I think that makes a ton of sense. And I also think you're, you know, you're spot on when it's, a, you know, you say, take your time, take time for yourself, um, you know, before you feel like you need to help others. Like, you know, if you don't have your, if you don't put yourself in the right mindset, there's a good chance you're never going to help others. I mean, you know, take that time, go, you know, work out or read or meditate or do yoga and, don't feel like you're being selfish. I mean, I think at times in our society, it's looked upon as if, you know, you're really focused on your own health and, you know, even in this influencer world, I mean, people are just selfish, but it's mental health. I mean, that's what they feel they need from a mental health standpoint. And then from there, hopefully, you know, yeah, they're not living out of a, you know, living from a place of ego. And when they have, you know, accomplished those goals for their day, they're able to, you know, give back and, and be, and be an impactful member of society. Um, so I think that's, that's a huge piece of it is, you know, making sure you're taking time for yourself, but you're right. I mean, I think if you just have a plan and whether it's, you know, 10%, 5%, you know, $20 a month, whatever it might be, and just, you know, sit or just time, if it's not money and it's, you know, maybe an hour a week and you, you know, bring you, you know, go down somewhere and, and you know, go into the city or go, go somewhere and just really help out, you know, um, manual labor um, and, and, you know, just doing something like that for me, that is like, whenever I do that, it's unbelievable. I'm like, why don't I do this more? I mean, it just, it feels so good and it just, it really just grounds you. And, um, I don't know, man, it, that type of stuff I think is, is really, um, is really important to me. And I think, um, I, I think that when people 
people don't really understand that. They don't really know it until they try it. So we'll get to that. I mean, I think society is starting to become more and more conscious, but it's slow. Yeah. And so I wonder, maybe not focusing on, you know, people below the poverty line or at the poverty line, but if we're looking a little bit more up and now we're no longer talking about helping people who need help financially, but talking about people who might need help either through needing uh, the right ideas, the right mindset, which I think it comes down to a lot of stuff we consume, whether it's related to that Alan Watts stuff or, you know, you know, I love Tony Robbins and kind of the mindset shifts you need to make, the the belief changes you need to alter to have kind of to even think about setting goals. I mean, like that's something that probably a lot of people, I don't know the percentage, but like maybe 90% don't even set goals and check on them regularly. So it's like those things, which are essentially free. I mean, you could find any of this stuff or, you know, go to a library, get a book about this. But I kind of see that as a, a separate group of people that need need help in a different way. And I think with this group, and this is kind of a transition point to entrepreneurship, I think that's a group where you should charge money if you can, if you can find a, a way where you're adding more value than they're paying. Because I think we live in a world where there's so much there's an abundance of ideas that are free that if people are constantly consuming free ideas, they don't take any of them seriously because they don't have to give up anything to consume them. I'm wondering if you could touch on the thought of kind of having to give something up in order to gain something, um, that risk versus reward mentality yeah. for learning. I think that makes a, that's a great question. And I mean, for me, I think of, um, you know, right now, well, first of all, when it, as it relates to goals, I think you know, it is hard for someone that doesn't, isn't goal oriented or doesn't set goals to think about, you know, kind of the entrepreneur lifestyle or the, you know, very um, personal development uh, mindset that you're, you know, you have to create these goals and hit them. i have been the first to admit, I mean, you know, I need to be way better about actually going through checking off my goals, seeing what I did and didn't accomplish for the month or quarter or year. I mean, I'm way too, you know, I throw it out there and then I forget to look at it. So even if you're, if you if you're not into it at all and you've never tried it, it doesn't mean you have to get automatically become this expert. You just got to jump in and, like you said, with as it relates to martial arts, I mean, figure out what works for you. You know, find your find your approach um, as it relates to you know whether it's charging for uh, for your whatever your product or what you're selling. Absolutely, I mean, this is this is I mean, we you know a lot of us that are, a lot of you probably listening to this. I mean, probably know about obviously just the, these communities that are being built these days, but. I mean, masterminds are, are huge. I mean, you know, the, I mean, I personally um, belong to a group um, that Cody Sanchez has a uh, platform. It's called Contrarian Thinking, and she's all about, you know, finding ways to, you know, just find freedom, whether it's financial freedom or, um, and really it's a lot of focus on financial freedom. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a network where I don't feel that I personally need at this point in my life, a, a community that is, you know, just adding people into my network. I, I'm just looking to for ways to expand ideas and ways to generate, you know, um, business to where I hopefully I can create more impact in the long run. But her her community is all about, you know, these contrarian ideas, whether it's investing into um, laundromats or RV parks or things like that. And you you know, it's a it's a very interesting community of individuals that she speaks to, and and she's very very intelligent, and you know has. She, you know, she charges a, a good price for it. She makes money and she deserves to. If it was free. So you're willing to pay for that. Is it like a monthly basis type of payment? 
it's an, I was one of like the first members. So it's like an annual, it was an annualized and actually I, I, I have to go back and look, but I think it was like almost a one-time thing. Cause I was one of the first. Cause it was so new. Members. Yeah. Yeah. It was just kind of like got her off the ground. Um, I, at least I hope so. It better be, I don't want to keep paying, but she, no, it's really interesting, but those things are, are, are huge right now. And, and, you know, not to dog on, I mean, masterminds in general, whether it's personal development, finding your, your, your tribe, you know, whether you're for parenting, for, um, you know, any, whatever it might be. I mean, there are so many of these now and, and, and they're really incredible. And the people that lead these are unbelievable humans that put so much time and energy into creating, you know, a catalog of, of unbelievable information and they should charge a, pri a, pr a price for that. I mean, there's no difference between that and a university creating um, a curriculum, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I mean, this is the new way of learning. And I think it's just, it's so interesting. Yeah. Um, to speak on, to kind of go off on learning, I think of uh, Mastermind, I believe is the big kind of online learning where they have celebrities essentially teaching the courses. I don't know if you're familiar with Masterclass. this. Masterclass. Masterclass, yeah. Yep, um, yep, yep. Masterclass is the big one. And I recently saw that they are creating kind of a offshoot company, the same founder, and it's based on classes that you might learn in college. So they're teaching like intro to calculus, um, intro to philosophy, like those kind of classes, and you can convert them to college credit. But wow. here's, here's, I think that's a great idea, but I think in that people are missing the point. And my argument for kind of why I don't like that is because who said you need to take philosophy 1000 when you have now on the internet, the option to take any number of courses, any number of topics, why are you still taking calculus one? I think it's in the old mindset of thinking we need to take these gen ed courses as if they're somehow going to help us in the future. It's like to get the credit, you know? Yeah. Almost. And yeah. it's missing the point. And I'm sure it's much cheaper. So I think compared to uh, college, very smart uh, business yeah. model, but I think masterclass was closer to what should have been done than kind of well, what we're seeing with those intro courses. Yeah. What's interesting to me is like, I look at that and again, you know, I'm not fresh out of college or I'm not even, you know, 20 or, you know, 21 looking to just get some college credits. But now, at, you know, in my thirties, I would love to take a class like that and just say, okay, well, now that I'm, you know, uh, I've lived my life a little bit, I'd love to go back and actually learn about, you know, philosophy 1000 rather than show up to class, you know, maybe hung over from going out on a Thursday night and not really, you know, being interested. I mean, personally for me, and I, a lot of people in college, especially my generation, you know, we went to class and, and we didn't give it our all. I mean, I would love to go back to school to learn. So that, that, that's why it would be appealing to me, but you're right. There's probably a lot of people that still live in that mindset. Oh, I'm going to pick up my credits. And, yeah. But you yeah. don't, you don't think that like watching free videos of Alan Watts lectures or reading the right books. Um, do you not think that that's kind of an intro to philosophy for hundred percent? It's been I mean, it's better than, I mean, I've, you know, like I said, I, I, I was probably the, the, my philosophy class. I'm fortunately to admit that I probably skipped it, you know, 50% of the time and yeah. studied in the library for eight hours before my finals. I mean, that was my learning. So yeah, this is, this is a much better way. And, and again, like you said, going back to what you said, everyone's different. I mean, for me, reading is great, but I have kind of a, you know, I'm undiagnosed. I'd say ADD. It's hard for me to sit still. I can, I, I mean, I'm trying to get better at reading and I am, but I love getting out and going on a walk and listening to a podcast. And that's how I learn, you know? So it's, yeah, you're right. It's like that, those ways of learning 
shouldn't need to be individualized. And it's amazing that we have those, you know, that ability or even a YouTube video that you can watch and maybe you don't like to read or listen, but you'd rather watch something. Um, so it's, it's cool. It really is. Um, yeah. And I, I think um, just the fact that the, I mean, we're already seeing kind of the start of education, the industry kind of exploding in a thousand different directions, being democratized where now anyone can teach a course if they want to and um, dematerialize. You don't have to be in person. So really, we're already seeing kind of the evolution of the education industry just being flipped on its head. And maybe we can talk about kind of in that, I think of just opportunities, period. Industries that need change, that are outdated. I think colleges and just really standard education, that's a huge one. I'm wondering, are there any that you have have observed of kind of needing massive overhaul? Or maybe you could speak on kind of the cannabis industry and what you're doing now, because that is such a, a, a new new uh, industry. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, there's there's so many, I mean, top of mind before you mentioned cannabis, I mean, just, you know, STEM in general, you know, I mean, science, ten, you know, uh, technology, engineering, math, and that's, that's where we need the most investment. Um, and we need to put the most time and energy. And I definitely want to hear, you know, I know before we got on, we talked a little bit about you reading uh, bold and, and kind of, you know, some of the exponential growth strategies. And I, I'm definitely curious to kind of hear more about that. I mean, whether it's, you know, robotics or AI, ML, I mean, all those things that I think are so integral to our long-term growth and ability to, to foster a better world. But as it relates to cannabis and, you know, I mean, yes, I think that you look at the cannabis industry and it's a perfect example of an industry where most people that work in the industry aren't using their college degrees. Um, there are some universities now that have, you know, started to really hone in and even more like in colleges and grad programs that have cannabis emphasis, uh, emphases, but in general, I mean, you're looking at a lot of these employees that are coming in that, you know, have maybe even a lot of them have had mental health issues or didn't want to work in the industry that they had worked in and found cannabis as an outlet and now work in an industry and provide incredible value for individuals that that didn't understand anything about the plant. And they've just learned. They've gone out and they've read themselves and they've researched and, and they've, you know, learned about this this industry. So that industry, I mean, cannabis, and again, we're just at the very beginning. It's not just the you know, again, like people say, it's it's more the ancillary companies that end up making that difference, not just the individual groups that are growing the plant, but, you know, the extraction companies, the um, crazy research being done on um, on the different compounds of the plant and the different cultivars. And I mean, it's it's really in depth in terms of what some of these groups are doing. And then you start thinking about just industry at large. I mean, distribution, um, security. I mean, there's just so many facets of the industry that are um are growing and and you know i think that uh we're in the very early innings but but yeah i think in general there are i mean we have so many different sectors right now in this world that and you know you look at you can start with the us that we need to put a lot of money towards um and i i really think it, it comes down to you know science and, and technology and and you know let's let's really start to put an emphasis on that um yeah, that's, and I guess that's yeah. where my and I think is. I think people are fun. People are putting their money there um, in terms of startups focused on you know how can we include more uh, kid friendly STEM stuff kind of for them to use to learn about. Um, I've kind of seen that on the rise. I'm sure you know I'm not even in that world, so I don't know how much is being done for that. 
here's where I want to kind of push back um, against this like cry for make sure everyone can code, make sure everyone is doing math. I always think, and I think this is what really, I, I like that I kind of have this background in, in film. I wouldn't even call it a background. It's my current ground. Um, doing film, making collages, writing. My thought is always, what about the artist? What about the creative? Where are they going to go in this um, world of evolving technologies? And what I am slowly transitioning to doing is trying to learn everything I can about those technologies while keeping my my heart of the artist in a sense and saying, how can we bring this stuff and make it artist friendly, not kid friendly, not teaching everyone how to code, but how can we show that there's beauty in that? The obvious example, the cherry picking example is Steve Jobs did that with the uh, personal computer, making it interesting, showing that you can draw on this, which just wasn't being done before. Um, and I think we're going to need people like that to do that for stronger AI. 3D printing is going to be a big one because I think 3D printing is a really a convergence of art, like 2D art mixed with technology of, uh, I think it's called additive printing, which is just a wild technology that has so many possibilities. I mean, printing organs, printing microchips, but also just making cool stuff. So I think there's, that's like an unlimited thing. But yeah, I, let's transition to bold and exponential technologies. And Bold, I'll, I'll link that book in the description. It's by uh, Peter Diamandis and Stephen Cutler. And that, it just, an awesome book. I ended up buying the the third book in that series that they wrote in 2020. And I just bought it. I'm excited to read it, which is going to be even more modern. I think Bold was written in 2013. But, well, I guess I think it's better to start off, what questions do you want to know that I might be able to touch on and then we can expand on it? Yeah, I think so. First of all, I mean, I, I think something I didn't really think about, which you touched on, makes a lot of sense, is that really the integration of the artist as with the um, with the science, with the tech, not, you know, the scientists or the, you know, the tech guy, the coder. I mean, that that is a really interesting integration. Um, and we'll get to kind of what what we talked about on my end that I would I'd like to talk about eventually. But as it relates to I'm just thinking like out loud here you know, you think about something like 3D printed homes, you know, you look at where like Elon Musk is living right now. And I forgot if it's a 375 square foot, some tiny, tiny home, right? Is it 3D and printed? I think it's a 3D printed home. I'm pretty sure. I know some companies are at least doing that. I thought his was, but it's, you know, at some point, yeah, that's really cool. And it's really, you know, it's really practical, but people also want some type of beauty and, and difference. You know, they don't want this same cookie cutter. I mean, you look at, for me personally, I, I hate going to a you know suburbia and seeing every house look the exact same. There, I you know there needs to be some some nuance and some some you know intricacies to you know each individual house. And I mean that's just one example. But you look at technology at large. I mean I think obviously Apple's a perfect example. You know just kind of you know kind of weaving in tech and just you know the the artist. Um, but I think that's that's just a really interesting example. So that's just something I'm thinking about. We can we can touch on. But yeah, I mean I just did a little bit of. Um, of looking into it. And I think, you know, like you said, 3D printing, AI, robotics, all these things. I mean, at the end of the day, those are, these are things that we need to um, 100% invest time and energy towards. But it, one of the things that I think I want to know if they talk about in the book, which is something that, you know, um, that is really important to me, 
do they talk and touch on ways that we can advance these technologies from a you know conscious and compassionate capitalism standpoint you know do we are we, are we able to evolve and, and grow and you know um really change the world you know whether it's globalization or maybe even like more of a localized with for the us for example working with canada and mexico are we able to do that and also make sure that we're not making the same mistake we've made from in the you know last century leaving behind groups of individuals indigenous communities things like that i think there's this just like there's this really intricate kind of relationship between the the um, stem community and the artist community i think there also needs to be that that same relationship between stem and 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 earth and, and you know and, and it relates back to alan watts and and Taoism and, and, you know, kind of being one with nature. So I think there's that, that's something for me, that's really interesting. And I'd want, I'd wonder to hear your, I'd love to hear your thoughts kind of on that. Yeah. And I think this is a cool example where another book I read recently helps kind of answer the question related to the book bold. Uh, the other book is called unlimited wealth. And in that book, which was written in the, I think early nineties or late eighties, that was all about how technology changes what a resource is. So at one point, well, let's just use the obvious example, like coal or oil, that is a resource that all cars use. There are two ways to increase the supply, or there are two ways for a technology to increase the supply of a resource, either make it more efficient to use that resource, because when we talk about oil, and let's say using it or gas for a car, we don't care about, you know, how much we're getting in the car, it's how many miles per gallon. So if we can increase the efficiency of that, that's one way to increase the technology or that's one way to use technology to make it more efficient, save gas. Um, the other way is to find new ways to discover um, and kind of export and distribute that supply. So if there was oil in Alaska, we wouldn't have been able to get to it until we created the Alaskan pipeline. So those are two methods of technology. Now, based on that reasoning, and before I touch on kind of helping people who are you know, at that lower level of in that poverty section, I want to talk more about the environmental side for a second. Because of what I just mentioned, it means that while we don't have to be the imperial power that just all these European and, and, Amer and America was kind of the past hundred years where we would just go to another country, take their resources. Because technology is changing what it means, what a resource means, you know, now if we can create a, a diamond from coal with our own technology, we don't need to kind of destroy Africa going after these diamond mines. So that's that's the first way kind of it's changing the, the game. And that will definitely apply to something like with carbon in the atmosphere. I think what people miss when they do their kind of equations of, oh, in this many years, uh, the sea levels will rise above this, the heat or the kind of global temperature will rise, they're missing the fact that there can be a technology that, boom, halves the consumption of oil or halves the consumption of coal. And obviously that stuff's hard to predict. We can't put that in the equation because it doesn't exist yet. But there's been patterns of that happening. Now, I think to bring it back to bold, to bring it back to individuals, you know, well, actually this also relates to the book Unlimited Wealth, but the the author mentioned how people are going to lose their jobs as technology displaces them and with those people 
and this is a they compared uh the US to Japan and they're very different. I'm, it's not worth getting into now, but the main thing he said was in America if a company has a, a new technology, they're not going to train that employee. They're just going to hire someone who already knows that technology. Um, that's just the pattern of our culture is we hire the people who know what to do. We're not going to spend a ton of money trying to train someone to learn a new technology. So because of that, it's in the individual individual's hands to learn new tech, which is kind of a, a long-winded way of kind of getting to this point. But if people have to learn the tech on, them, on their own, what that means is entrepreneurs are going to need to find ways to democratize education and make it so that there are cheap forms to learn new technologies. And so that's where we see something like Skillshare and I don't know, let's say it's 10 bucks a month. I don't know if that's true or not. But now a person who, you know, they are on the poverty line, maybe they had Netflix, cut out Netflix for a month, get Skillshare, see what you can learn. And in saying that, I can even hear, like, I, I just have this afterthought, like, you say that as a per like, I can say that because I have money. I can't put myself in the shoes of someone who has right. to make those hard choices. When it comes to the government, the problem from this is more the thinking from the book, the mistake they've been making is giving out money through sub subsidiaries. I'm not sure the right word, but Subsidy, giving, yeah. yeah, giving money instead of giving education. Um, giving practical education. So the options are, if you're an individual, figure out a way to learn the new technologies or wait for the government to change, which is to say your only option is the first one, to figure out the new technologies on your own using kind of the things we mentioned before with the changes in education. And so let's use a, a very concrete example, 3D printing. 3D printing, I think you can kind of learn it in an engineering department at a university, but there are tons of courses teaching how to use 3D modeling and how to make it. And on the internet, you can really kind of the same way that you print your own book, you can send off a 3D creation and have someone else print it and ship it to you. So all this technology is being democratized. And well, I, I guess that's to say what what is your response to that kind of in defense of the the people on that poverty line yeah no i think that i mean well the, your first answer was really interesting as it relates to like you know those communities that are um you know at large is being impacted in very negative ways um but i think it's really interesting like when i think about it you know you talk about um you know i think like bold kind of talks about like the allowing people to leverage like this, like hyper-connected crowd. Right. And then like they're designing and, and making breakthrough solutions and there's like, you know, crowdfunding, all these, all these, you know, the valuable, valuable capital that's available, like all these, you know, the ability to build these communities and, and, you know, whether they're physical or vir virtual and like coming to an age that, you know, is, is very digital, but at the same time, I still feel like we crave this like analog age um, to where it's, it's, I don't know, it's hard to like put my finger on it. Can I try to put a, a finger yeah, on what I think you're yeah. thinking? Because this is the way that I've been thinking for a while is this idea of the uncanny valley. And it used to be thought of, you know, for a movie, it, CGI, you can kind of tell if something looks fake. And we've kind of hit that. We've got across the uncanny valley where now if we do CGI, it looks ultra real. You know, maybe it was the 90s where that weirdness was. Maybe it was early 2000s. 
I think the same thought can be brought to the idea of our other senses. Right now, anything we feel from a 3D printer is going to be just this hard plastic. And we can't even comprehend uh, stem cells being used as kind of printing ink in a sense and creating flesh and creating organs that are real by every sense of the word except for the fact that they came from a 3D printer rather than you know, our own bodies growing them. So I think we're at that uncanny valley point with a lot of these technologies, with AI where they make the simplest mistakes, but they can also do amazing things. And it's like, you didn't realize that was a cat in the picture? Like how smart is it? And then it's, you know, doing these unbelievable feats. The same is true for that, for 3D printing, uh, for VR. And so I think just we're going to cross that peak and we're going to and maybe this is not what you're talking about, but no, that's very, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to hit that crossing point. I don't know when that will be, but maybe in the next decade. So that's, and that, that was just something that's not really necessarily exactly related to, you know, your last point, but it's just something I, I think about when I, you know, kind of hear about bold and, and these different, you know, this, this connected again, connected world that has, uh, has so much potential, but it's, how do we hit that potential? You know, we have, we have these communities, like you said, that are living at the poverty line. That was your, you know, your question was, you know, how can, what are my thoughts on technology and really not pushing these, these ideas on them, but allowing them to, you know, thrive better and, and provide education rather than just, you know, um, putting some money in their bank account to let them just kind of continue this lifestyle that they've lived. I think what it's going to take in my mind is really some of the smartest minds in the world to also work with the government because at the end of the day, you know, the top, the top down, I mean, that government, the system that's been built, it isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And I mean, you know, I don't think we're going to, we would thrive in a world where, you know, we can all just do, you know, whatever we want. I mean, we need some type of leadership. I mean, th there's too many people in this world and that's obviously a, a different conversation, but I think pairing some of these brightest minds in tech and education and tech, you know, and, and science and, having them work with, with government bodies and, you know, starting on the local level, local, state, federal, having them work with the government and saying, okay, you know, here, and, and people will argue, oh, they do that already. You know, if you, to get uh, unemployment checks, you have to, you know, go on LinkedIn and report your different job, you know, um, postings you've applied for. No, make it way more in depth and way more new age than that. You know, I mean, you look at all these startups, you go on Twitter right now. I mean, there are so many incredible and impressive startups that exist have some of these you know these founders these coo the ceos that are doing these awesome things and you know government should pay them very well to work with them and create these programs say okay you can get this you know this subsidy or these checks but you need to complete this class and you know over the course of a month the course of a quarter or a year you need to complete a, a catalog of classes and that is the way i think that could really increase education, increase knowledge and intellect in our society at large, and ultimately pull us out of this, this, you know, kind of place that we this are just massive division. Yeah, exactly. And, and, yeah. and pull us away from the yeah, exactly this, this, this wealth gap that exists. Yeah, um, I think that's a huge way to, that's one way in my mind that you can accomplish it again, much easier said than done. Yeah. And I think just really briefly to expand on that. We've been talking about, you know, charity doing something out of the goodness of your heart. In reality, by training uh, kind of people at that poverty line, you're increasing the wealth of the entire nation. It's not about, um, oh, just helping someone in need. It helps everybody. 
when you help the people at the kind of bottom, financially speaking, of society, helping them get the education they need to create more wealth for the United States, that helps everyone. And so really briefly, I want to talk about the idea of abundance in regards to wealth. I think we often just classic economics assumes that wealth is finite, that the amount of money in a circulating is finite. And money, that's a different thing. But wealth, wealth meaning, you know, how much square footage are you living in? How good is the food you're eating? You know, all these things that money can buy, but that really money represents kind of different levels of status. How many suits do you have? How expensive are your suits? That's wealth. So we often think that, you know, let's say minimum wage gets raised to, you know, for everybody to some something like 20 bucks. We would think, oh, you know, all you did was kind of everyone's still at that. Now the poverty line is $20. It's inflation, yeah. What really happened is now, and this is a, there's a probably a lot of stuff with inflation and that I don't want to get into, but let's say nothing changed. Now these people could buy more luxury goods and they would feel more wealthy even if they're at the minimum wage. Um, so if you bring up the the minimum and people have nicer stuff, that is an example of wealth is abundant. New technologies for really rich people keep getting invented, space travel, people can spend an insane amount of money. And then bottom line now, you know, just really to a quick example, no one used to own a phone. Then the highly rich people had a phone and maybe their car, then the smartphone. And now it's becoming so cheap that anyone can have a phone. So really it's the amazing technologies slowly go down in price until everyone has it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, and I think this is again where, you know, I, I would love to read the book because my thoughts on abundance are, are, you know, I mean, I definitely agree with a lot of the, just from kind of looking at a high level about bold and, and abundance, what it, you know, what it stands for. And I, I think there's a lot of potential and we should, you know, absolutely, everyone should reach that potentiality. But at the same time for me, and this is, you know, again, what we talked about kind of beforehand is, you know, I'm really curious to figure out how we, and again, it's, it's through technology, but how can we address the problems that the current world of abundance has caused? And again, like you said, it's um, materialism, it's the rat race, it's, you know, how many cars do I have? How many, you know, what, what, what kind of purses and, and, you know, shoes do I wear? And what that has done has created a society that just thrives on, on excess and, you know, how big is your house and, and, you know, what neighborhood do you live in? What's the value? I mean, it, it's all about that type of wealth. And it's, that's to me, what's scary. And, and I think that one of the things that, that I've just become more and more um, really, you know, interested in, in the last probably year is just more of a, a minimal sustainable lifestyle and, and more and less reliance on globalization and more on, on, on localization, you know, creating these, these communities where you're, you know, you're growing your own food. And again, technology should be, should be woven into that hundred percent. But I think finding a way to, to integrate that, you know, getting rid of things like industrial farming and, and all these chemicals and over sanitizing every and anything that, you know, we have relying heavily on, you know, pharmaceuticals as it relates to, you know, a reactive healthcare system rather than a proactive healthcare system. So I just think that the interconnectivity of it all is, is very real. And I think that 
if we can address that with technology at the same time, we'll start to really see, you know, a better world. And, and you know, look at COVID right now and the impact on supply chains and, and you know, even just COVID itself. I mean, what is, it, what is it really stemming from? I mean, yeah, viruses are always, you know, they're going to thrive and continue to thrive, but our issues with biodiversity in this world are, are prevalent. And as we continue these, these practices, I mean, the next pandemic may be 10 times worse than this one. So I think it's just something that we have to, as, as much as I believe in abundance and technology and, you know, everyone can achieve in wealth, if we don't address some of these issues at hand, I think we are, we are still heading towards a path of disaster. So I think it's got to be some type of, you know, there's the yin and the yang, you know, tying it back to, you know, Taoism and Alan Watts and some of those thoughts. It's like, you know, there's, there's that friendly, there's, you know, at the end of the day, there's that friend, you know, necessary and friendly enemy. You kind of have to have the yin and the yang. You have to have both. Yeah. And can I just I want to touch back on what you said a, a little bit ago about the kind of materialism of society and excess wealth. I think I, I kind of want to go against that point and maybe you can argue back too. But yes, there are people who want the most expensive suit, who want the most expensive car, um, kind of the excess wealth in kind of the worst way that we imagine. I would argue that those people are seeking status and it's a psychological thing. It's not the, the products, the services that they want. I think there's another person, another group of people that buy goods and services and, and keep spending more because they want to be better. And we see this with the biohacking movement um, of people wanting technologies because it makes them feel better, not for you know, to impress other people, but because they want to take control of their own biology. That's an obvious example. Um, I think there's also the example with creativity where filmmakers are buying better cameras because they love to use cameras, not because they're trying to impress someone else, but because they love the the new technology that's being offered. Um, and so I think we can have that second kind of group that I just laid out where there is that uh, um, unbelievable amount of wealth and wealth being spent, but they're getting something in return that is intrinsically rewarding. Um, and obviously we see that with like music festivals and really enjoyable experiences, not just trying to impress someone else. Um, but yes, everything else you laid out was, was also really kind of thought provoking. I, I know we're running a little bit short on time. So yeah, I mean, I guess just a really quick, just to touch on what you said, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think that I guess my my thought, and I don't think it's a thought. I mean, I you know, I, again, everyone's entitled their own opinions. But you look around, whether you're in St. Louis, I mean, you know, whether I mean, I went to you know Ruth's Chris last night, and again, you know, great time, like parents' anniversary dinner was great. But you just look, and it's that's it's just a massive, massive restaurant. You know, it's huge. It's eighteen thousand square feet. Like just that that type of abundance. I mean, this type you see in Clayton and you know, in 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 New York City. I mean, it's just certain things that you see, right? And Again, I, I love, I still love cities and I, I, there's, there's something about that experience, but by and large, at the end of the day, I mean, we, we live in a society that we, we like, um, we do like excess and a lot of it is status. Now, last night we, you know, we, for example, like we talked about with my family, it's like, we're not going to Ruth's Chris on a Monday, any day of the week. Like a lot of these people are, you know, we're going for a celebration. It's an anniversary. It's a very unique, you know, we're not going there every day of the week and dropping, you know, hundreds of dollars. That's just crazy. But 
I think some people do. And that, and that is, and that's fine. Businesses have to thrive. And, you know, the retail, the restaurant industry, you know, the service industry has to, has to exist. But I mean, I think more of that, you know, that if there's a, if there's a huge piece of pie, I think it's a very small piece of it that is investing because of themselves and their creativity. And too many of those people are really focused on, like you said, status and the way others look at them at the end of it's, it's how, why do we care to impress others that really most of the time we don't even like, and we are, we are spending money to impress those people. And that's the problem is if we can address that and at the same time, address some of these other underlying issues, whether it's from the system, you know, stemming back to, you know, a century ago and start to really address and help these people that are really in need, then we can become, it doesn't have, like you said, it doesn't have to be this, take it from the well, from the rich and, and give it to the poor. It's no, it's helping everybody. It's a society improvement overall that is going to, I think, need to be, it needs to be shown in ways that nobody really is even thinking about yet. And I think it's going to take, you know, thought leaders like our, like ourselves, you know, you being an artist and just really tying in that art and that, you know, that creative form into this, you know, technology that I think allows people to say, okay, this is something I never even thought about before. And it's so cool, man. I mean, that's why, I love following your work. And like, I think that just having these thought provoking conversations are, um, are so important. And to me, I would rather do this all day than to, you know, go out and go to a bar for a few hours. I mean, this is the type of stuff that will, will lead to, you know, that exponential growth. Yeah. Yeah. And just uh, a final follow up on that. I think even before, you know, we mentioned, I kind of mentioned before where instead of giving, taking money from the rich and giving it to the poor, nothing wrong with that, but maybe convert that into good education, um, the ability to teach skills. But I think there's a step even before that. And I think that step is giving people the belief that there is that possibility to, to grow, to adapt to technologies, to kind of raise a rise above. And now we get into kind of the social systems that have just kind of destroyed people's beliefs. People just not feeling like they even have that chance, like they're stuck where they are. And so I think that a thought leader, it doesn't even have to be an entrepreneur. You don't even have to make a, a new technology or a new service. Sometimes it's enough to just talk on the internet and say, here's where I was and here's how I grew. Um, and, and I think that's a message that any creative, any creator, no matter how you use technology, if you know how to code, anyone can do that. And I think that's part of my message of just saying you can do it too. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's all I had. And I know we're getting low on time. So was there any kind of follow up point? And if not, I'll, I'll ask you one last question. And you might have mentioned it before, but what, what at this moment are you intensely curious about? Well, that's a great question. Because, um, man, so the podcast I listened to today, um, the Alan Watts podcast, I was telling you about before we, we started this, it was talking about how, you know, back in the day, science was really the philosophy. Like it was really just like your curiosity. Like it's like, the, it's like this philosophic mind and like the curiosity of the mind. And for me recently, it's just been a, just a, a really burning wonder of the world, you know, both in the past and what shaped all these thoughts that now, you know, all these different people have that are becoming more and more polarized by the day with social media so my curiosity right now is really it's, it's what we talked about today. It's how do we blend 
a world that has become um, just so disenchanted and so just out of touch, um, every corner of the world being so different and all this hate being spread. How do we find these, you know, these technologies, these beautiful minds and pair them with other minds that can really create something that, that can start to change the world. And um, I don't know, man, it's, it's really just, it's finding, like you said, it's, you know, getting on a podcast, like you always talk about and whether it's a blog or a podcast, you don't care if there's five people or 500 people listening to you. If you can impact one person and you're, you know, one person enjoys listening to you or reading your work, that's all that matters, you know? And then from there it'll grow, you know, as it, as it will, I mean, it's organic, it's going to happen. And um, you know, of course you'd love to have, you know, thousands of dollars. Yeah. You'd love to have, you know, thousands of dollars to pour into marketing and, and, you know, grow to 500 and then 5 million, but you'll get there. Just keep doing your thing. So I don't know. That's my curiosity is just at this point is really looking back on some of these more, um, you know, things like Zen and Taoism and, and really some interesting um, things that I probably learned about in college that I just wasn't paying attention to and just finding how incredible they are, just that interconnectivity that we have with nature um, and then at the same time, just, you know, again, finding a way to, to help these people in need that I think both of us realize we're, we're very fortunate to be living in a, you know, a country that, um, we're, you know, we're free and we can, we can do these things. We can spend an hour on a, you know, Tuesday morning talking, you know, via, uh, Google meets. And it's like, it's crazy, man. Like we're, we're, we're blessed. Um, you know, almost makes me emotional just thinking about how lucky we are compared to some of these people. I mean, what's going on right now in Afghanistan, it's, it's terrible, man. So it's, 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 it's gratitude and it's, um, but it's not being stagnant. It's trying to make sure we, we yeah, keep, keep moving up, in the right direction, yeah, bringing yeah. up the world around us and, and making an impact. So I appreciate you having me on as always. And, um, hopefully it's not, you know, hopefully I can have a three peat and we'll, uh, we'll be back. Oh, at definitely. Some I know you always have good, uh, good guests. So keep, keep bringing them on, man. It's, yeah. I love listening. Yeah. All right. Well, Zach, thank you so much for coming on. I'd like to thank everybody for listening and I'll see you next week. Hey guys, if you like this episode, but kind of wish there was more, something you could take action on rather than just passively listen, well then I highly recommend signing up for the Purple Elephant Collective Patreon. If you go for the second tier, the baby elephant, that'll unlock two bonus podcast episodes a month. And these are not normal paper scrap episodes or, or bonus interviews. These are workshop based, based around questions offered, questions you can answer, practical skills, something that you can use to set goals, change beliefs, get out of writer's block. Now I'm making this because I think it's useful. I think passively consuming this content is helpful to an extent. But the difference between passively listening and taking action is night and day, which is why I highly recommend you check the link in the bio, go on the Patreon. There's a couple other cool tiers that you can look at on there. And I really hope you'll join the Purple Elephant Collective. This is what I envisioned. This is the community I imagined when I started building this brand out. Thanks for listening. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week.